Thank you, Eric. Good morning to everybody. Great to be here today. It really is. Really is. And it's wonderful to be able to see so many with us. We have visitors with us again, as is very common. We're thankful for you. If you have any questions about anything you see us do or hear us teach, please ask us. We keep saying we just want to be the church we all read about in the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And we do hope that it's a blessing for you to be here. It's a blessing for us that you are here. And we hope you come back all the times you have the opportunity to do so. We're going to finish up our series on faith this morning. And we have been looking at faith in a pretty thorough and deep study. This is our 11th lesson together. Ten lessons, I divided one of those into two to try to cover the material better without making it uh, tedious in that one particular setting. But we've looked at faith. We've talked about how Jesus said, oh, you of little faith, a number of times. We've talked about the difference between faith and faithfulness and the faith, hopefully coming to a good understanding of those three different usages in the New Testament of the term faith. And so we've come to this particular point. We need to understand true faith and what true faith really is and what it does. Now, true faith is essential to my salvation and your salvation, to our spiritual lives, to our walk with God through this physical realm that we live in right now. Faith is absolutely essential. There are people who I think probably don't want to have to give any attention hardly at all to their supposed faith in God, and they still want to be okay. But the Hebrews writer said in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who would come to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith in God is essential to our salvation, to our eternal life. But faith in Christ as our Lord and Savior and God's Son is equally essential. There are a lot of people in the world who would say they believe in God, but they don't believe in Jesus Christ as God's Son and their Lord and Savior. But Jesus said in John 8 and verse 24, I have said therefore that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am He, the Son of God, the Savior, your Lord and Savior, then you will die in your sins. True faith is, objective, is objectively based. The Hebrews writer said in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 11, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So some people would charge it is a wild wish, it's an unrealistic hope or dream, a wild leap in the dark. But faith is none of those things. It is objectively based, not subjectively based. Now there are feelings that naturally go along with having true faith in God. It is an assuring kind of understanding and, and mindset. But again, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And it's not based on some wild wish, some unrealistic, rash, irrational hope. It's not that blind leap in the dark. But faith comes as we get into God's word and we learn the truths of his teachings. And we understand them. We come to believe in them and then make the proper applications of them to our personal lives. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10 and verse 17. 
Well, someone might say, well, I don't believe the Bible. Why would I then believe in faith that is based upon the teachings of Scripture? Well, you see, the Bible stands alone in its purity and power. The Bible claims over and over and over again, repeatedly throughout the entire Scripture text, Old and New Testaments, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16 kind of sums it up. When the Apostle Paul said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. In other words, boiled down, it is God's very word and is profitable for doctrine, that is teaching, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the Bible is unique from every other book that has ever been penned by mankind in that it is truly the word of God. And the writers who wrote it down were guided by God through the Holy Spirit, Peter talks about this, to write exactly God's word. So, faith, faith, true faith, not just something some people call faith, but true faith as we have examined it thoroughly and deeply and repeatedly throughout these 10, 11 weeks of study. What does true faith do? Some people will say, well, I have true faith. Yes. Well, people will talk about their faith right and left, but then you observe their lives and they're not living by faith in God. They're certainly not living faithfully to him, but they'll say, and they'll say it in tones that sound so sincere and might even evoke a spiritual kind of feeling. Oh, I love the Lord. I have such true faith in him. Well, if you tr have true faith, what does true faith do? How can I know if I have true faith? And also, what should my faith naturally exhibit through my life as I live it on a daily basis if my faith is true faith? Let's talk about this particular understanding as we conclude our study on faith through this series. True faith will exhibit itself in deep love for the Heavenly Father. Now people who say, I have true faith, but they never open up God's word virtually ever. Are they exhibiting true faith? They virtually never darken the door of any church building to gather with the believers and worship God with his, with his son's body, with God's family, the church. Is that true faith? They will take part and live on an ongoing basis commonly in various sinful lifestyles. They'll even use God's name repeatedly, again, in common language for them in ways that are provocative, in ways that are uh, disrespectful, vulgar. Is that true faith? Is that true faith? True faith will exhibit itself in deep love for my heavenly Father. When we look at 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, well first, Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 38. When Jesus was asked, what is the great commandment? He responded along these lines. 
which is the great commandment in the law. That would have been the Old Testament law of Moses at that particular point in time and from the reference point of the, his, his, uh, his questioners. And so Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. So think about this in relation to a marriage relationship. A husband tells his wife, honey, I love you with all my heart. What does that mean? I'm totally dedicated to you, totally committed to our marriage relationship, to the love that we share with one another. Well, then if that is true, that husband is not going to start messing around with other women, is he? He's not going to start flirting with other women to whom he is not married. He's not going to cheat on his wife. And the same is reciprocal. The woman who tells her husband, I love you with all my heart, is going to be absolutely true to him every day that she's alive. So if I love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, then I'm totally dedicated to him. That is deep and abiding faith that is demonstrated in my love for God. We're motivated to love him because he first loved us. 1 John 4 and verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. And how did he demonstrate his love for us? He sent his son to the cross to die to pay the price for the guilt of our sins. He sent his sinless son. You talk about purity in humankind. Jesus was pure when he lived this physical life on this earth. Now, of course, he was still spiritual. He was still God the Son, but he lived in a physical realm with us. He had a physical body. He had eyes and nose and mouth and ears. He had skin. When he was struck, he, it hurt. When he was cut, he bled. When he hung on that cross, he died in that agonizing death, torturous death, because he died physically. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The apostle Paul put it this way in, Hebrew, in, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. God demonstrates his own love toward us, his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We did not deserve God's love that much. We certainly did not deserve the sacrifice of his son on the cross, but that's how much God loves us. He demonstrated that love for us, and that ought to cause a response in our lives of loving him with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul. In Titus chapter 3, beginning with verse 3, the apostle Paul wrote, for we ourselves were also once foolish. Now he's talking to Christians there. Talking about Christians. At one time before we became Christians, we were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And the Apostle Paul could certainly relate to some of those evil characteristics in his own life before he became a Christian. But then he goes on and says, but when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. 
According to his mercy, he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration, as we're baptized into Christ, the blood that he shed on the cross washes away our sins, Acts 22 and verse 16. And renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, and what was the motivating factor behind the grace of God exhibited to us through the cleansing power of Jesus' death on the cross and the shedding of his blood, God's love. Having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, love for the Father also ought to be exhibited in our love for the Father's family, and that is our brothers and sisters in Christ. You really cannot have one without the other. And the Apostle John in his first letter goes into great repetitive depth and detail along this line. Beginning with verse 4 in 1 John chapter, uh, beginning with verse 9 in 1 John chapter 4, John wrote, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. There's God's love for us. Now, what is our response? In part, at least, verse 12. He goes on and says, no one who has seen God, or no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. And that love needs to not be something we just speak, but it needs to be something that is visible, that is active on an ongoing basis. In fact, Jesus, in the night of his betrayal, gave this new commandment from which John wrote what he just wrote. A new commandment I give to you, Jesus tells his apostles, that you love one another as I have loved you and that you also love one another. Now, he loved them so much the next day he'd be on the cross. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Then the non-Christian world, the non-believing world, the non-obedient world to God, they need to see that open, obvious display of our love as God's people for one another. Because that love is rooted in our love for God because he loved us first. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 9, Paul tells the church at Thessalonica concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. That is a teaching of basic Christian doctrine that we are to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. True faith will exhibit itself in deep love for our Heavenly Father that will also be apparent in our love for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, as part of God's family. True love, or true faith, also exhibits itself in true love for God that is demonstrated through our obedience to his teachings. Think about that. If we truly love God, we're going to live a life of faithful obedience to him. In fact, Jesus in John chapter 14, again, the night of his betrayal, giving some 
kind of last minute instructions to the apostles before he would go to the cross. He said in verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. In verse 21, and they needed to learn this lesson. We need to learn this lesson. If he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And then in verses 23 and 24, he, he repeats it a third time in very short time sequence. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my word and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. And so Jesus covers both sides of the ledger. If you truly love me, he says, you're going to be obedient to my teachings. But if you don't really love me, or let's put it a little bit different, different framework, the one who does not keep my teachings, does not live in faithful obedience to me, does not really love me. Not the way, not the way God is, is instructed, not the way that Jesus is teaching here. We need to love God with all of our heart. We need to love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, with all of our heart. And real faith is going to be obedient faith. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, John said, He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, that would upset a lot of people, I'm sure. Who are you to say that I'm a liar? We're simply observing your lack of true faith in God. He who, he who says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And true faith in and true love for God cannot be separated from true obedience to his teachings. In 1 John chapter 5, beginning with verse 2, John wrote, By this we know the love of, we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And then we look also in chapter two, uh, 2 John chapter 1 and verse 6, This is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. Our obedience to God's teachings, we should not look at that as some, somehow a, a law given out, you better do this, God is holding you accountable, you're obligated, you're responsible, you have to do this or God's going to get you. But rather... Our obedience to God's teaching, we should understand that is, it's because I love God so much. It's because I truly have faith in God. And that faith and that love on my part is based upon how, he, how much he loves me. And he has gone way beyond what I could, what I could expect realistically to show me his love. He sent his son to that cross to die for me. Obedience, obedience is action that demonstrates true faith. Jesus asked the rhetorical question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? 
And also, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18, John wrote, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. How many people will verbalize how much they love God, but they don't show that love in deed and in truth by the way they live their lives every day? Yes, true faith will exhibit itself in deep love for our Heavenly Father that will be exhibited in our dedicated obedience to his teachings on a consistent basis. And true faith in God will lead me to actively serve God on a consistent basis. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 8, the Apostle Paul wrote, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. Now we need to examine ourselves. I think I have true faith in God. Am I working to serve God in the Lord's kingdom? Am I involved in the good works that God wants me to be involved in? Or am I making excuses for not being so involved? In Titus chapter 3 and verse 1, remind them to be subject to the rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. In chapter 2 and verse 14, speaking of Christ who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Am I zealous to serve God actively, to be involved in the good works that God has planned for me to be involved in. And yes, the Apostle Paul says he has planned good works for me to be involved in. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What? God has prepared good works for me? to be involved in and serving him before he ever created me? Yes, yes. That's what we're to understand from Ephesians 2 and verse 10. Am I involved in those good works? Am I actively serving him? Am I working in the kingdom? A life of true faith is a life that is actively, purposefully lived for the Lord. I'm looking beyond just myself. And first and foremost, I'm dedicated to him. I want to live my life for him. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 15, he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. He laid down his life for me. He laid down his life for you. Now, are you reciprocating? Are you demonstrating your love, your thankfulness by living for him, actively, obediently serving? dedicated, committed, 
The Apostle Paul reflected on his own change in life. In Galatians 2 and verse 20, he said, I've been crucified with Christ. Not physically, he was still alive when he wrote this. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So he's talking about spiritual application here. I'm no longer living just for myself. It's not just me calling my own shots, whatever I want to do, whatever I think is good. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's true faith. My life belongs to my Lord, and I'm going to live my life serving him and to his glory and consistently obedient to his teachings. That's true faith. I need to recognize that my life is to be a living sacrifice. Romans 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Jesus died on that cross for us. He says, you live for me. And true faith is actively engaged in serving God. Hebrews 13, beginning with verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of this everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Am I complete in every good work? Am I active in my service? My very life should be lived actively to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And if I have true faith, then my faith is the motivating, governing, and guiding force in my life. If my faith is truly true faith. Colossians 3 and verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. True faith, true faith, true faith by its very nature is going to be true. It's not going to be passive. It's going to be active. It's not going to be lethargic. It's going to be steady and active. It's not going to become inactive for some prolonged period of time. We're going to stick to it. That's true faith exhibited in these active ways. True faith openly, actively loves God and God's family, the church. And that means every single individual member. True faith sincerely seeks to live in obedience to God's teachings. And if we, as we study God's word, if we come to learn, uh, I made a mistake there, then we'll correct our mistake. We'll correct and redirect our lives. And true faith actively and consistently serves God. Key word again, actively. Also key word, consistently. We don't get to a point where we retire from true faith in God and everything that goes with it. True faith. Do you have true faith in God? Or have, are you along the line 
where a whole lot of people are at this time and continually throughout the history of mankind. Do you just have spoken faith? Remember what, what, what John said, let us not love in deed or, in wor- or rather in word, but let us love in deed and in truth. Is your faith what it ought to be? If it's not, first step, admit it. Recognize it, admit it. Second step, do what you need to strengthen your faith. If you need to talk to somebody, study with somebody, please get with us. We'll help you. We'll study with you. We'll provide materials for you to grow spiritually through God's word. But let's, all of us, dedicate ourselves to develop and always pay attention to keep staying strong and even growing stronger in our faith so that it will truly be the faith that God sent his son to bring to us as we learn his word and make the applications to our lives properly. If you've never yet come to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in him openly, surrendering to him in baptism for the remission of your sins, then, and I'm not trying to be insulting, but you're not living in true faith. If you've done all of that, but you've slipped back into carelessness, lackadaisicalness from a spiritual perspective, maybe even sinfulness, then your faith needs to become stronger because it's not true. If you need to come, we want to help you. Please step forward. If you need some guidance, if you're ready to obey your Lord in baptism, if you need the prayers of the church or whatever it might be, and please let us know as we stand and sing together.